Are you ready? It's that time! Welcome, ladies, gentlemen, and whatever degenerates also listening to this episode of Man Buns of Jesus. I didn't bother to check which episode we're on, but we're in uh, season three. We just finished a, a kind of mini series dealing with the the new catechism, which if you listen to those episodes, you kind of heard a little bit about that. Before we jump into this episode, I do want to throw out there that there have been developments in that, and it turns out that some very um, unsavory people, unsavory people yeah. were pushing a lot of that. And if, if that's something that interests you, uh, I know my congregation, uh, once we get the green light from those in higher authority than us, we'll be putting out the official letter that our synodical president has uh, penned regarding that. We're not going to talk about it any more than that, but just there is a little bit more to it. And if you're interested in hearing about that, uh, I guess, make sure you're connected with, with your church because I'm sure it'll come up. In any case, that's not what we're talking about today. Although, now that I think about it, it could end up being something we talk about today. Uh, we're continuing our walk through 1 Corinthians, and specifically we're going to look at the first 11 verses of 1 Corinthians 6, which reads this way. It says, When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are we are to judge angels? How much more then matters pertaining to this life? So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers? When a brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers, to have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who, men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And that's our text for today. So, Ben, where are we, where are we going with this? So, if you look in a, an ESV Bible, you'll notice that the uh, heading for that section, the very inspired heading for that section, is... <laughs> that's a joke, by the way. Headings are not inspired. Um the heading for this section is entitled Lawsuits Against Believers. Uh, and with us today, we have another pastor from my circuit, uh, Pastor Paul Unlin from the very confusingly named St. Trinity Lutheran Church in Clarkston, Michigan. Uh, Apologies has, to know, all the saints at St. Trinity. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> been bagging on your church name. I'm, I'm sure your, your people are saints. I've met a number of them, but... The name was mistranslated, so yeah, 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway. There's, um, yeah, there's actually two stories. One is the mistranslation story um, that instead of uh, being translated as Holy Trinity out of the German, it was Saint Trinity. The other is that uh, sometime after the turn of the 1900s, um, Saint, a Saint John and a Trinity Lutheran Church merged and became Saint Trinity. The reality, nobody knows. Even the church fathers who have been there the longest, nobody knows where exactly it came from. So I have a feeling it's a little bit of both. Nice. Anyway, so very confusingly named Saint Trinity. Uh, Paul has the fortune or misfortune of being uh, rather experienced in the world of uh, seeing how congregations are impacted by lawsuits. Um, his previous congregation to this one uh, dealt with some litigation surrounding, I believe it was a school teacher, correct? Yes. That uh, rose to fairly high ranking. I'll let you figure out uh, or I'll let you disclose as much as you want to about that case. And uh, he's also uh, served kind of as a um, brother pastor and mentor as uh, other people close to close ish to him have uh, dealt with some litigation. Um, and uh, we wanted to have him on today to talk about what he's seen, what he's experienced, and uh, just kind of give us a lowdown of what does this do to a congregation? So let's start there and then we'll kind of riff from there. Um, what's your biggest takeaway on how these kinds of things impact the congregation? Um, it's brutal for the congregation. It's absolutely brutal. So I, I'll, I can give some background. So I was the uh, senior pastor at uh, Hosanna Tabor Lutheran Church in Redford, Michigan, which, yes, it went to the Supreme, United States Supreme Court. Um, the event that happened actually predated me by about two to three years. Um, they took place over uh, the end of the 2005 school year and into the 2006 school year. I didn't arrive there until 2008. So I wasn't there for the events that led up to it. Um, in fact, I didn't even know about the lawsuit till I'd been there about four months. Um, so yeah, that was fun. Um, but it, it, it was, <laughs> it's all the deeper I'm going to go into that one. Um, but <laughs> surprise, we're <laughs> yeah, in the Supreme Court. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it was at a, at a uh, church council meeting. Oh, and the lawyer came to update this, um, the council on um, this lawsuit that was in process. And I'm like, what lawsuit? <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, that was fun. That, that um, wasn't in the call document. <laughs> no, it was not in the call do documents. It was not in the call documents. And uh, let me tell you, when I took the call to St. Trinity, it was one of the things I asked. There's no outstanding litigation, is there? Um, and I was reassured not. But um, it, the outcome was brutal for the congregation. Um, it, it tore apart the congregation. Um, some wanted to bury their heads in the sand like nothing was going on. Others uh, you know, predictably split down two sides. And then yet others, they left. They didn't want to be a part of the, uh, of the headache, of the hassle. Um, and so they left. Uh, some left, as far as I know, uh, the Missouri Senate altogether. Others just transferred to other churches. Um, and it was a heavy weight over the first four years of my ministry because it wasn't until I think it was January of 2012 that a unanimous decision came down. And we all know how rare it is for the Supreme Court to have a unanimous decision on anything. But um, 
the relief was quite palpable um, and finally felt like we could actually get to work in doing the, the, the work that we were called to do. So I think based on that, I mean, obviously these things are going to have a huge impact. Um, but as you kind of watched your congregation splinter, maybe is a good word for it. Um, at least, you know, cracks were showing, there were factions, there was uh, loss of people. Um, there was a lot of distrust and, and people were leaving because of that and all those kinds of things. Um, what kind of things pastorally were you seeing and experiencing that um, people were really struggling with as a as a community? Because um, I mean, you you saw the the end result of it, but like, what? How did it impact people's faith walk and lives together? Um, that was pretty widely varied. The other, the other piece that was um exceedingly challenging for me was that this was my first call out of seminary um, walking into that um, mm -hmm. so I'm a second career pastor um, and one of the things they don't teach you in seminary is how to read you know 50 page legal briefs because um, <laughs> <laughs> I got to do all of that fun stuff um, I got to learn how to be a pastor um, and how to pastor a congregation in the midst of the, the brokenness of this lawsuit um and so that was it, it was a lot of challenging bits and pieces coming along i wherever i could i just came right came alongside the the, the people the members the the flock and reassured them uh comforted them as i could and those who um couldn't be around for the brokenness anymore um you know i gave them my blessing as if, at least as they were transferring to another congregation those who just kind of walked away and I could never get a hold of them again was, was a bit more challenging. Um, but you, know, you, you do what you can. And um, uh, I believe you're, are you, you're both in your first call. I know, Ben, you are. Um, and, yes, sir. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. So that, that first year or two, you have no idea what you're doing, what you're doing right, what you're doing wrong. You're just trying to figure it out on the fly. And everybody gives you all of this authority that you don't feel like you actually probably deserve um and that's kind of where i was right <laughs> that's where i was and now suddenly i have to be the legal expert as well um and yeah it it, it was uh befuddling it was confusing it was you know all take all that stuff from your first call and then just amp up and, and throw this extra piece on top of there so um that's where i went mostly gray and lost most of my hair uh, was in those first few years. Otherwise, so, he um, would be joining us in this beautiful. Yes, I would. I, I would love to have a man bun, but um, yeah, <laughs> it, it just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. Uh, At least unrela <laughs> related to that, I guess, uh, but not related to our topic at all. Last, so we're recording this on a Thursday, ladies and gentlemen, and last night was Ash Wednesday. And as I was uh, doing the imposition of ashes, two things occurred to me. One, there are a lot of pretty tall guys in my congregation. I was reaching for some of them. I'm like, I need to stand on my tiptoes here. And for a note, the Josh, second, five ten, five ten. Yeah. Okay. Unless you ask my brothers, then I'm five nine. Um, they're wrong, by the way. The doctor says I'm five ten. 
And, uh, and the other realization is we got a lot of balding gentlemen in our congregation. <laughs> um, but I think, Paul, when you bring up kind of how, how divided the congregation was, and I, and I think when you think of a lawsuit that impacts any group, you're going to think, okay, there are going to be two sides. But you also, you mentioned the people who kind of just want to ignore it. You mentioned the people who they, they couldn't, they didn't want to handle it. They couldn't handle it and they left. And I want, and I suspect, and I wonder how much of that is because as Christians, we understand on this gut level that we're called to better, right? We look at this. I mean, it's the same thing when and Ben and I, we had these conversations over the past two weeks. Like we look at some of these arguments that are going on in the church and where you just kind of got to shake your head. You're like, we should, we should be better than this. We shouldn't be arguing and interacting with each other in this way, especially given um, so much of it starts over such trivial things. And something that came up in our, in our counseling classes all the time is this idea that conflict tends to snowball. So you start with what should be a pretty easily resolved issue, but for whatever reason, it goes unresolved and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And then you end up in the Supreme Court. Um, and I think there's there's a lot of, there's a very difficult truth in what Paul says here when he says, why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? Because, I mean, that's what he's challenging. He's like, if we're in a community and you have you have an issue with someone, there does reach that point where you say, you know, my love for you and my love for this community kind of is going over and above my care for getting justice for myself. Um, yeah. And like, I, so just uh, a quick, like, if you're sitting there thinking like, yeah, you can say that and that's great not you specifically, Paul or Ben, like someone listening to this. If you're sitting there thinking like, oh, that's nice for you to say in theory, like wait until you hit reality, young buck. Uh, that reality <laughs> hit. So right before we moved out to California from St. Louis, I got rear-ended. And it wasn't like, oh, there's a dent in the bumper. It was like, I was afraid they were going to total my car because of how much the damage, like the trunk was caved in. It ended up being close to six grand in damage. And I like I got rear-ended, clearly not my fault, uh, which, you know, the police officer, the insurance companies all acknowledge that right away. Um, but the insurance company, the ladies insurance company really was dragging their feet and they wouldn't answer my calls. They wouldn't call back. Like, so I couldn't tell the, the mechanic shop to, like, get the repairs going because I had to deal with the insurance company first. And what was eventually what I had to do is I had to go to State Farm, my insurance company, and said, just do it. I'll pay the deductible. I know you guys will get it back, you know, however long that legal proceeding takes. But as a result, we had to move to California and my car was getting fixed in St. Louis. So we ended up having we paid an additional twelve hundred bucks to have the car shipped. My my wife, her sister and brother live in St. Louis, so they were able to like pick it up from the mechanic shop, drop it like uh, sign for it with the with the mover who was shipping it. 
And I, I really seriously considered, and I was encouraged by, by several people around me, to sue this insurance company to at very least cover the cost of moving the car. And I was talking with my parents, um, and they brought up two things. The practical side that said, you don't really want to get pulled into a lawsuit right now where you are in your life. You don't want to do that. But then the, my dad brought up the faith aspect. He's like, listen, uh, the witness we give is important. And if we have this this kind of persistent attitude of turn the other cheek and, and let yourself be defrauded out of love and care for your neighbor, which is weird to say about an insurance company, but uh, <laughs> he says that, some, that sound, says something powerful. So like, that sucked guys 12 and maybe you're listening to this and you're like ah $1200 isn't a big deal $1200 for that point in our lives and still like to this day that's a big deal so i've experienced this on some level like i'll admit it sucks to sit there and say yeah i'm gonna let myself be defrauded but there's something to say about the witness of it so it's worth noting that since josh lives in california 1200 bucks is like half a grocery bill you know it's not that extreme but it is less than half of my monthly rent so <laughs> ouch yeah anyway anyway well, you had something you wanted to say <laughs> i don't even know where we went after that one um <laughs> you know and it's interesting you bring up you know the uh the accident, the insurance company and whatnot. It's one of the things, you know, as I was thinking about this, you know, our, our society is now set up that if you want to get anything, you almost have to sue. Um, if you want to get anything from an insurance company, whether it's your own insurance company or somebody who caused them, they're set up to, okay, well, you're going to have to sue if you want to be made right. Um, and that certainly takes things, you know, for people of faith, it, it, and, and we read about this and, and, and elsewhere in scripture when um, it's lawsuits and, and whatnot are and going to court are brought up, um, you know, and, and it, it is, it, it's a challenge. What do you do? How do you handle um, that kind of a situation? Because I mean, 1200 bucks, you know, yeah, I, that's a hit for almost anybody. Um, at least anybody that I know, you know, very few of us have. <laughs> Twelve hundred bucks just sitting around, and we go, "Oh yeah, no problem." There's twelve hundred bucks, and just toss it and be done. We have bills. We have, you know, we have things that we need to, to live and to do. Um, and I was about to say something right before Josh started talking, but now it went. Uh, it went. Um, I know we had brought up uh, snowballing and kind of this gut instinct of we were probably oh, yeah, better. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of that's where we were, and, and I would agree with you heavily on that one. Um, you know. So, so much of it is we don't know how to properly deal with conflict, um, right? We're, we're raised in the church and we're told conflict is bad, um, so you, we avoid conflict altogether. And so we're actually trying to address it and work our way through it. Well, it's conflict, it's bad, so we're just going to pretend it didn't happen, and then it snowballs. Um, rather than doing what I mean, what Jesus himself tells us to do in Matthew 18, if your brother sins against you, what are you supposed to do, right? You're not supposed to just pretend it didn't happen. You're supposed to go and talk to your brother about it. 
and eventually bring it, you know, bring in, uh, bring in elders, bring in the church. There's a process for it. Um, and that's what we forget. I think oftentimes as Christians is that we forget to actually use these processes that Jesus himself told us to use, um, when it comes to conflict. And so we view conflict as being something evil or bad instead of a being a misunderstanding and an opportunity to actually grow stronger. Um, you know, and, you know, I'm as guilty of wanting to avoid conflict as anybody else. Um, but I've also seen the results when that happens. Um, and very rarely being, does being conflict avoidant actually make things better. Um, generally it just makes things worse later down the line. Um, when if you had just talked about it right off the bat, it wouldn't have been such a big deal. For some reason, okay, not for some reason. I'm a massive baseball nerd, so this is like my brain is tracking down uh, a recent story. I don't know if either one of you know too much about the arbitration process in baseball, um, but it's kind of a mess. So after a while, before a player is eligible for free agency, their worth is decided by kind of historic contract values for players that have been with teams that long and done what they've done. Um, and if teams and players can't agree on what that number is supposed to be, then they have to go to an arbitration hearing, which is where they, they go before a judge, the team and the player both make their argument about, well, I think I'm worth this much because this historic comp and vice versa. And more often than not, when that happens, there is a significant amount of conflict between the teams and the players. Because when you go into an arbitration hearing, you have the team sitting on one side and the player sitting on the other side, and the team is bad-mouthing the player. <laughs> like, they have to do that. They have to point out all of the player's flaws and, like, inefficiencies and character things. And, like, they want to pay less. And there was a, an example this spring of a, a player, a pitcher, former Cy Young winner for the Milwaukee Brewers named Corbin Burns, one of the best pitchers in baseball. The the Brewers, who he plays for, um, turned his career around for him and then also shot him in the foot by taking him to arbitration and laying out all the reasons they don't like him. And now he wants nothing to do with them. Um, so, like, if you want a microcosm of how litigation impacts relationships, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> and as you were talking about like the process of Matthew 18, Paul, I, I was thinking in my head, like, what if that kind of thing happened in baseball? <laughs> like, guys, this isn't working. We need to like talk this out. <laughs> well, I, I wonder if it doesn't on, I'm, I'm not familiar with baseball, but I know with, the NHL, they have a similar arbitration proceeding, mm -hmm. but it's kind of, they talk about the contract, player and team, and then, you know, they get a little bit more involved with that. And then they, like, they schedule arbitration. And most of the time when they do that, it is to, the player instigates it to expedite a conclusion of the, con like, they do it because teams want to avoid it which makes mm -hmm. me suspect that in the NHL it favors the players. But I, I there's there's got to be some 
like escalation that results. I, I can't, I can't yeah. fathom the I mean, saying, yes, I would love to do that. Let's go there and do that. There are definitely teams that do more of that, like discussion beforehand. But there are some teams where if they can't come to an agreement with the player before there's a deadline in the fall, where if they don't, they'll just file what they're going to file for arbitration and they'll go to a hearing no matter what. And like, you would you would not be surprised if I told you what teams are involved in that kind of practice, uh, like the New York Yankees, who just <laughs> don't care because they're the Yankees and they can get away with whatever they want. Um, but you, you sound salty about that, Ben. <laughs> I I mean, just not really. I just hate the Yankees. I think that's pretty clear. Um, anyway, all of that is to say, I think it'd be interesting to see and to hear some of the conversations in some of these rooms and just kind of get a sense for what this kind of legal proceeding can do to a relationship. Because like we, we see the after effects of these things, Paul's seen the after effects in the congregation, like we can see it in the news in some cases, but we don't always necessarily see the nitty gritty unless you're like, I don't know, watching Judge Judy and watching a family fight over like a $500 repair bill. Side note, those are scripted. I had a yeah. teacher in high school who was an actor on one of those judge shows, <laughs> which was nuts because like it aired. So all of his students saw him fake arguing with his wife over the smell of his feet on TV. Okay, great. <laughs> I'm like, you made, that was an interesting choice for you to. Yeah. Yeah. And so something that I think you're touching on, Ben, and that you brought up, Paul, was was this reality that this isn't just a part of the church or like these big entities. This is a relational thing. And there's a danger to kind of just ignoring and, and not dealing with issues, which reminded me of... And, I don't know if I have the copyright to actually show this, but if you're watching the video, I have this pamphlet uh, published by... Does it anyway. <laughs> there, it's the Ambassadors of Reconciliation, so I hope they won't sue me, because that's kind of antithetical to there. <laughs> but, so they, they have this divided into different ways you can respond to conflict and we can call it conflict or disagreements or sin between people like whatever label you want to slap on it but they they divide it into three and on one end and paul you were talking about this are escape responses um and this is when people are more interested in avoiding unpleasant people or situations than actually in resolving the issues and you have denial which is just, we're going to ignore the problem. We're going to pretend it doesn't exist. You have flight, which is escaping. So that would kind of be in, like in, in your situation, Paul, the people who left. And then the extreme is suicide. Like you, you don't want to deal with a, a conflict so badly that you take your own life. And then on the other side, you have attack responses. Uh, on the other extreme, you have assault whether it's a verbal or a physical assault um, litigation is on this attack response where you're like i'm going to take this to the court and, and get my pound of flesh and then the other extreme is murder you say i have i have this conflict i really don't want to deal with i'm not going to kill myself though i'm going to kill the other person 
So that, that would be the other extreme. But what's fascinating is all of the peacemaking responses in the middle. And this is the ambassadors of reconciliation put these together for like, this is how we should deal with conflict. Um, and it's, it's also kind of a scale. So you have overlook and there is a space for um, overlooking sin and the distinction with, I shouldn't say it like that, overlooking a sin that has been perpetrated against you specifically. And the difference between that and denial is the presence of forgiveness. Is It's not that you're ignoring the conflict. It's you acknowledge it. You say, this isn't really worth making it bigger. I'm going to forgive this person and just move on. And, and that willingness to move on, to forgive, to not bring it up is what distinguishes that you have reconciliation, which is the conversation that we've been talking about. There's negotiation, um, which... You start with reconciliation, but then there are like actually issues you have to deal with. So negotiation kind of, we've taken care of the relationship. Now we have to deal with these issues. Mediation is when you bring someone else into that. Arbitration is when you bring someone else into that and you say, we're going to live with whatever ruling you hand down. Um, and then you have accountability, which is someone stepping in to maintain those kind of things. And, uh, if you need any of these services, contact Ambassadors of Reconciliation. There, that makes up for me using their material. I gave them a plug. There you go. There you go. Well, it's interesting, so, you know, you, you brought up the, you know, so there's the light responses in various different levels, and then there's the attack responses in various different levels in, in the pamphlet there. Um, and the worst of the attack, of course, is murder. Um, and I find it interesting that... Um, in uh, the Sermon on the Mountain, chapter 5 of Matthew, Jesus, when he, he's talking about anger, right? Um, you've heard it said about not murdering your brother. Well, you're not supposed to be angry. You're not supposed to be calling call him a fool. Well, that section ends about if you've got anything against your brother, go and resolve it before you give your sacrifice um, at the altar. Um, and included even while you're on your way to court, try and get everything resolved before you get there. Um, and so, yeah, that, that whole murder piece as a part of this conflict resolution, I mean, Jesus was talking about it 2,000 years ago, um, you know, and, and you've got that in-between space on how you deal with things, um, you know, and one of the definitions of uh, forgiveness, it's not about um, saying everything was okay, it's, oh, I, I forgive you, it's fine, it's okay, it's not a big deal, Um Really, one of the definitions of forgiveness is letting go of your right, if you will, of being made right. Letting go of your right to justice and giving that over to God. It's it's up to God now. Um, that righteousness, that justice is in God's hands, and I've let go of it. Um, and so that's then when sometimes maybe the conflict isn't enough to keep butting heads over and go, you know what? I'm going to forgive you. I'm handing it over to God. It doesn't mean it was right. It doesn't mean that you can keep doing that. But I'm not going to fight anymore. I'm handing it to God. Um, it came across an interesting uh, post a couple of weeks, a couple of days, a week or so ago, talking about um, forgiveness, and and it began with this the idea of forgiveness as letting go of this claim to being made right. Uh, the next step is in reconciliation. Okay, we can actually talk to one another again. And then was eventually trust. 
right? And you have to work through those levels. You can't just necessarily jump, oh, right on, onto trust. Forgiving somebody does not mean that you're going to continue to be a doormat for them. Um, you know, and so there is these um, varying, uh, these steps that need to be taken. Just like these, the steps in conflict resolution, there are steps in forgiveness as well and reconciliation and, and rebuilding those relationships. Um, and quite frankly, if you jump right into a lawsuit, you have broken that. Um, there, you've broken the opportunity for conflict resolution. You've broken the opportunity for forgiveness. And let's face it, how often do any two parties who, uh, you know, go to court against one another, how often is that relationship ever, ever restored to any, you know, you talked, Ben, you talked about with the uh, baseball arbitration, right? The pitcher now hates his team. Yeah. And he's not going to perform to the level that his team might want to. He's going to be pushing for a trade. He yep. wants out of there now. He wants nothing to do with that. Yep. Right. So they went from a very good, strong relationship, helping one another, to this relationship is broken over money. Right? Yeah. And, um, and the, the team bad-mouthing him, he's not worth anything, here's all of his problems. Um, right. Well, of course, if, if you think I'm that bad, why, am, why do I want to stay with you? Why do I want to stay in your presence? Yeah. And another more practical example might be, and this is maybe the one that is unfortunately the most common example of how courts are used within uh christian relationships is family court yeah divorces and and custody battles and, and those kinds of things like you watch the fallout from any of those 99 percent of the time those people aren't on speaking terms when that whole battle is over um and that was a, a unit that was a family. Oftentimes, the, you know, there was a marriage involved. The the two were made one flesh, right? And now mm -hmm. the whole thing is just being ripped apart. Um, and when we have lawsuits within the church, we talk about the church as being a unified body. And they do much the same thing, where a, a lawsuit coming in and, and either inflaming or sparking conflict can just rip that body apart and and really do a lot of damage. Um, at some point, I want to kind of flip this on its head because I feel like we've done a lot of bad mouthing of the court process, <laughs> but we have courts for a reason. And I don't know if you want to go here yet, but I would like to to just for a few minutes talk about what is the purpose of the courts, and as Christians, is it ever our responsibility to take things to the state, to the courts, for resolution? Well, you know, um, to, to jump in there, I, I would say that... Um, even jumping back to, and it's just because I preached on it the, for several weeks was on, on the Sermon on the Mount. Um, Jesus does intensify the law. He takes away any loopholes. And yet he still, there still leaves the opportunity for uh, right that action, right? So I, looking at, at the commandment of not murdering, the 
commandment is to not murder. It's not don't kill. Um, right. And so that leaves open that there may be a, be opportunities and reasons that killing might be justified. Um, now, yes, we're also told to, you know, uh, turn the other cheek. <laughs> if we're, if we're smacked on one cheek, we're told to turn the other cheek. Yes, we're told to, you know, turn our plow, uh, our swords into plowshares. We're supposed to be loving and caring for our neighbor. But if our neighbor is in danger, it's inherent upon us to also protect that neighbor. And sometimes protecting one neighbor may lead to a more physical conflict or ultimately even killing a different one. Um, you know, so that is still there in talking about divorce. Um, Jesus talks about, okay, you're not supposed to just divorce for no reason or just because you're tired of one another. He does leave open. Okay. If, if your uh, partner has committed adultery against you, that would be an, an allowable reason for divorce. Um, it shouldn't be the first step, but it is a permissible piece for it. I mean, and I think the same then is ultimately true for the courts or, or lawsuits. If you have made every attempt at trying to reconcile and come to some sort of an agreement um, and they still refuse, then you need to, to determine, okay, is it one of those situations where, well, you know, it's it's not worth taking it to court or it might be. Right. I and mean, Jesus and going back to Matthew 18. And yes, this is within the church. Right. It's, you know, go to your brother by yourself, bring some witnesses, take it to the church. Eventually, we are to treat treat them as a as a tax collector, as a Gentile. And they are outside of. Fellowship. Um, but it should never be the first step. And so I think like, ultimately the, the lawsuit presented favor. And yes, and we were defending ourselves the entire way. Um, and, and the, the whole idea of the ministerial exception and it needed to go to the Supreme Court. Um, that's one of those pieces I think ultimately it needed to. Now, because people are sinners, I've also heard in the years since then other denominations, misusing that and trying to misclassify other employees as ministers. I even heard of one that church that was trying to classify a custodian as a minister so they wouldn't have to worry. You know, obviously that's an absolute warping. <laughs> Not only what, what the decision was, but what the Bible has to say and scripture has to say about uh, ministers and who we're called to be and et cetera, et cetera. Is there a place for it? Yeah, I think there can be. But I don't think it should be the first step. Well, and I think you hit you hit on what Paul is talking about is is really lawsuits within the church. He said it's right. it's not appropriate. Well, and and to the point where why would you go to an external court? You should go to the church and the leadership. So, like in in how our congregation works, we would say, well. If you really need someone to to speak with authority into this conflict, you need to bring it to the elders and to the pastor. And and but when it comes to interactions with non-believers, like uh, my authority as pastor means little to nothing for someone who's outside the church. So the the authority that they still do answer to is obviously the government. Which in in the story I told earlier, that was one of the things I struggled with. I was like, well, 
the lady who I got in a wreck with, she was she was Christian, but like this insurance company, I I don't know. I mean, they they obviously aren't answering to the authority of the church, um, but so that was something I had I had to wrestle with, and so I think that's what like when they're outside of the church, it's like well sometimes you have to go to the authority that they're going to recognize, and. I think another distinction probably worth making is the difference between civil and criminal court. Yeah. Because if it's a civil court issue, then I think you get on touchy ground because it's you, you're really stepping into that. Why not rather be defrauded? But if it's criminal court, like that's the government's God-given responsibility to take care of justice in, in the sense of criminality. Um, so I think that's a place where maybe even more than we can interact, we should interact because I think it, it falls on us to make sure that um, we are supporting the government in, in its role to administer justice. Um, you know, well, and, and building off of that, you know, we, if we take a look at what happened towards the end of Paul's life, right, he's arrested in Jerusalem, and instead of going on trial there, he asserts his rights as a Roman citizen to be tried before Caesar. So he is then taken to Rome. Um, he does appeal to um, the government. He does appeal to the um, the court system under which he has rights. Um, and so there is a balancing act in there. Um, and I think Joshua, you, you you hit it pretty well talking about the difference between is it a civil matter or is it a criminal matter? Um, in a criminal matter, that that can't just be swept under the rug. Um, in a civil matter, depends on what it is. Um, you know, some things may rise to a level that might need to be um, addressed before court, um, especially if it's something that is outside of, you know, uh, Paul's admonition here, as you mentioned quite well, um, is about lawsuits against believers, lawsuits within the church. Um, and that, you know, Paul pretty much says, knock it off. But when it's outside of the fellowship of believers, um, we have to do uh, what's right and what we're called to do. Um, but it's not always going to be a black and white answer, um, like your case with the the insurance matter. It wasn't a black and white answer. And maybe if instead of you leaving seminary and going to your first call, um, you were just returning from vicarage and you had another year, well, you might have approached that a little bit differently. Um, the fact that you're moving more than halfway across the country and it was, you know, all, all of that stress, um, that takes in a different direction. Well, and if full for full disclosure for everyone listening, that was a huge deciding factor. And I was like, I can't, I don't want to deal with a lawsuit right now. Are you I, finding a lawyer and dealing with all that? And I, I'm pretty sure as the like aggressive party or the pro that whatever, the prosecution, that's not the right word for civil court. I don't know what the word is. Um, I'm pretty sure the the defending, the defendant has the right to be tried in their local court, which means I would then have had to go back to Missouri to deal with it. And, and nobody wants to be in that kind of state of misery. No. Um, no. Uh, <laughs> so, like, full disclosure, my decision was not a entirely we shouldn't do this as believers thing it, there was a lot of practicality in there too i was like it is <laughs> yeah, not yeah. 
I'm going to lose years of my life and 1200 bucks is not worth years of my life. Well, and ultimately, I mean, the cost would have, the cost of pursuing likely would have been more than that $1,200. Now, oh, yeah. okay, you know, if it all went to court and it came out in your favor, you might have gotten all those fees back. But is it worth it? Might. 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 Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Might. Um, you know, and so you could spend even more than $1,200 trying to get $1,200 back. Yeah. I, I think one thing that was interesting to me, Paul, as you were describing, like when it's appropriate to perhaps bring the courts in, I it, there were a lot of parallels there to the way that we talk about use of force. And I mean, it, it circles back to kind of the same thing it, that God gives the government the sword, um, Luther's language. Mm -hmm. um, and Paul's language too. Yeah, Paul's language too, but Luther really draws on that and emphasizes it. Um, but I, maybe that's how we should think about when we involve the courts. Like, when do we need the sword to settle an issue? And I think kind of similar to use of force discussions, it's when it impacts the life and safety of your neighbor that you need to bring the courts in. Like, if there's a dispute in your church or somebody has so utterly defrauded somebody else that they are at risk of losing their home and living on the street, you might need to bring in the courts. Like, that person can't just suffer and be defrauded because their life may be at risk if you let things play out the way that they have. Um in the same way that if somebody was attacking somebody else and threatening to burn down their home, like you wouldn't let them let them do that, you would stop them for the safe of this for the sake of the safety and life of your neighbor. Sometimes you have to use the sword. Yeah, well, and that's you know, yeah, we're supposed to love our neighbor, but. You know, when one neighbor, like I said, when one neighbor is being profoundly wronged and their life is in danger, we can't go, well, okay, well, your life is in danger, but if I try and protect you, their life is in danger. So good luck with that. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, you don't get to write an ethics paper every time that you have a, a <laughs> quandary in front of you. You just right. have to and, act. And, and, like, and there's not even often always time to e even think. Sometimes you have to respond because it's in the moment. Um, you know, and yeah, those are exceptions and, you know, that it's not like we encounter that each and every day of our lives as we're trying to live out our, our, our faith walk. But, um, but yeah, no, there is certainly a, a place in there. Um, you know, it, it should never be the, your first <laughs> instinct. It should never be your out first, the sword. The you're first thing you jump sword. to, you, you know, um, of course, I mean, what? Depending on the state, you can carry all sorts of weapons, but maybe not a sword. Um, <laughs> I'm telling you, this conversation may, really makes me want to go to Amazon and purchase a sword. So, uh... yeah, a sword would be pretty cool. A sword would be pretty cool. <laughs> One of that. my brothers has a Civil War cavalry sword in his room. It's a little frightening, but very dull. So, I, I have a uh, somewhere in circa World War One, World War Two. Uh, training bayonet. Um, again, it's dull as anything. I mean, it, the point is still sharp. You know, you could 
poke somebody with it, but anything else it's not doing. My younger brother has a samurai sword that oh. was given to him, but someone asked him what he wanted for his high school graduation. And because he's a flippant person, he said a samurai sword. <laughs> and my mom was like, no, you can't get a samurai sword. And so the lady who had asked, of course, purchased a samurai sword. <laughs> it is sharp. It can cut things. But it mostly, it just, I think it's still at my parents' house. I don't even think he has it in his possession. But, which uh, which brother? Caleb. Oh, that Makes it fun. even scarier, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, that's the one I trust the least with a sword. <laughs> I've always dreamed of having a Spartan shield and two javelins crossed on a wall behind me in my office. But uh, the dream has not been fulfilled yet. I'll let you guys know. I'll keep you up to date. Not exactly a sword, but in the ballpark. We're getting way off track, so maybe we should wrap this puppy up. I, I think you might be right, Ben. <laughs> I I may have warned... I don't know if I warned you about this, Paul, but uh, at the end of our, our episodes, we like to end with uh, one takeaway, one, like, if you TLDR'd this podcast because you're just listening to it in the background at, at work and haven't really paid attention to anything we've said so far... What's one thing that you want people to walk away with uh, as they are listening to this podcast? Yeah, yeah you, you did warn me, and you know we've kind of gone off in some different directions than <laughs> maybe I had thought we we, we may go. Um, but uh, man, you know, I I I think that the biggest takeaway is one. I, I, I'm sorry, I'm going to give you a couple. <laughs> You know, what a Lutheran pastor. It's like the pastor who said, you know, preaches for 20 minutes. And now on to my second point. Um, <laughs> no, um, really, it's, you know, stop looking to be offended about everything um, and love your neighbor. Um, if we do those two things, right, if we're not looking to take offense over every last little thing um you know or, or is luther's um okay here actually here we go here's luther's explanation of the eighth uh eighth commandment is put the best construction if we just actually sought to do that uh put the best construction on our interactions with our brothers and brothers and sisters whether it's of the faith or even our, our neighbors in general um, if we put the best construction on everything i i a lot of these lawsuits, these conflicts would never happen. Ben, I'm gonna I'm gonna steal the next one because it kind of piggybacks on what Paul's saying here. Sure. Um, I'm gonna encourage you as listeners, deal with conflict when it's small. Mm. Mm -hmm. And if that if that means you're overlooking it, make the conscious like thought you say, this this went wrong. I am forgiving this person and I'm, I'm not going to hold it against them. We're going to move on. Um, but if you can't do that, deal with it when it's a little, just a, uh, the example I'm going to use. My, I ask my wife every single night, is there anything we need to talk about? And if anything has come up in the day, that was like, you know, I leave dishes somewhere where my dog can lick them and knock them onto the floor or like, Whatever, whatever little things we, we bring them up quick, we deal with them. It takes two minutes every night. 
but that way it doesn't build and build and build. And so do that in all of your relationships where if there's something that comes up, deal with it while it's a two minute conversation and then it won't become something bigger that you have to deal with using wisdom from today's podcast. Um, <laughs> there's my takeaway. Ben, what do you got? Uh, I think my takeaway, I was going to try and say something sarcastic about like, Caleb has a sword. That's his takeaway. Well, yeah, that's frightening. But um, <laughs> I was going to say something like, uh, don't be the next Supreme Court case. But like, I don't want to make that a, a black and white rule because there's a lot of gray there too. Um, so instead, I think I'm going to say something like, uh, remember that these things have consequences. And you need to factor those in as you're going into conflict. Like, can you suffer the the uh the the defrauded being defrauded can you suffer the wrong for the sake of your brother or sister in christ um can you do that because there's a spectacular witness in that um and it might leave the two of you whole more whole than if you go through the whole process um so yeah think about the consequences know what you're doing there you go Plugs? If you if you have uh, if you have anyone in your life who maybe struggles with dealing with conflict, go ahead and send them this podcast. That could be kind of <laughs> passive aggressive and cause its own conflict. But you know, then at least you have this shared wisdom uh, to deal with that conflict. Or if uh, you know if you if you found this helpful, go ahead and share it with people who you think would also appreciate it and appreciate our ridiculous conversations toward the end. Um, we are on all major podcasting platforms that is Spotify, iTunes, or Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, uh, iHeartRadio, TuneIn FM, and Podbean, um, and Pandora. I forgot that one because it took so freaking long to get on. But we're on all of them. Subscribe to to us if uh, I'm not going to say if it's your progress. If you're still listening to us after this long, go ahead and subscribe. Give us the validation that we so crave. And uh, and we also, we do have a Facebook page. It gets checked occasionally. And so if you wanna hear us uh, approach topic, if you, wanna, if you want us to try and get a particular guest on, or if you wanna come on the show, we, we do welcome all of that. You can either reach out to us personally or reach out to the Facebook page. Like I said, it'll get checked at some point. And, uh, <laughs> And if you need a church in Southern California, we're we're here to serve. We're here to connect you to the gospel at Edgewater in Eastvale. And if you're looking for something in the Lake Orion area of Michigan, Ben's got you. And I don't know where Paul serves. I know it's in Michigan. Like 10 minutes from me. So if you're looking in, in the northwest suburbs of Michigan or of Detroit, Michigan, check out either one of us. Paul's a great pastor. He'll serve you well. I have no qualms in saying that. Yeah, and, and same with that. We're we're in the same circuit. Yeah, we're, it's a ten minute drive between our congregations. Um, he's definitely a, a brother. Um, and yeah, e either congregation. I mean, you can't. Do if well. Ben's too scruffy for you, you can go to Paul's church. <laughs> and if Paul, if the if the glint off of Paul's noggin is too much, I'm gonna gotta powder it before we uh, live stream it. Uh, you know. <laughs> in any case, everybody. Go to church this Sunday.
We don't say that often enough. You should be in church too. Don't just listen to us, yahoos. Don't be with the body of Christ. And uh, and with that, go in peace. Serve the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God.